I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, the traditional reading for Epiphany, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Where Matthew writes, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me words that I may go also and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this opportunity to study it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The messenger comes in to Herod and says, excuse me, your majesty, we have visitors. Who are they? Wise men from the east have come to worship the king. And Herod then gets all excited because his assumption is that means him. They're coming to worship me. They're coming to see me. They're coming to pay tribute to me. They're they're coming to honor me. Herod had an ego that was unreal. We have guests. We we really don't know much about who these these wise men are. I mean, we, we learn in the song, We Three Kings, that they're kings. Well, that's a song. We really don't know were they kings or not. We're not really sure. They, they may have been astrologers. They were studying the stars. They saw the star at its rising. Perhaps they were very educated in the stars and, and the, the elements of the universe. Maybe that's who they were. Maybe, maybe they were political dignitaries and emissaries who had been sent because... Well, back in, in those days, if, 
if a country found out or if, if a political leader found out that in a new country, in a different country, there was a new king, a, a newborn king, or a child was been born that would, would eventually become the king, they would send dignitaries there, people there to be able to go and, and celebrate and offer gifts as a sign of connection, as a sign of celebration for this birth. Maybe that's who they were. And, and that Greek word for magi actually... It could imply that they were priests of one of the Eastern religions. Maybe. We really don't know exactly who they are. We just know that, that God revealed to them that God was doing something new and invited them to come and, and to be a part of it. And how many? We're not really sure how many. I mean, we sing We Three Kings because, well, that works. They have gold and frankincense and myrrh. And since there are three gifts... Maybe there were three kings, but there could have been two. There could have been three. There could have been five. We really don't know exactly how many there were. But what we do know is they're foreigners. They're people from another land. They were people outside of the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And yet God has revealed to them, I'm doing something amazing. Come and see and be a part of this. So Herod's getting ready. The guests are there to see this new this king, and Herod puts on his best. And I can imagine that when the doors open, that there might have even been, you know, some trumpet voluntary of some type introducing. Here comes the king, and and he comes in. It's important for Herod's ego that that people want to come and see him. I mean, deep down, Herod knew he really wasn't that powerful a king. Deep down, I mean, because. Well, actually, at this time, the Roman government is occupying Israel. And so the Roman emperor just kind of allowed the kings of, of various provinces that they were ruling with their great Roman empire to, to kind of keep the peace. And, and, and so they were allowed to, to, to kind of do some basic things. But at any time, the emperor could easily say, yeah, Herod, you step aside, you're no longer the king. I mean, he knew kind of the king, maybe. And, and Herod's ego was, was so strong that, or maybe his insecurities were so great, that, that he actually became known as Herod the Great because he was constantly, constantly building something to make a name for himself. And, and if you go to Israel, you can go, well, here was one of Herod's palaces. And you, you go see this amazing palace with intricate bath areas and, and, and all these great places. And, 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 and this was another one of Herod's palaces here. And, and then there's the one where he literally has a mountain built. He literally has a mountain built where he, he took slave labor and, and, and he, he then brought all these people together and they, they built you know, dirt after dirt, built, literally built up a mountain. You got all this flat air, mountain right there, and on the top of it, Herod's palace. So the people would go by and go, would you look at that? Herod's got a palace up there. And, and Herod then could, could go up to his palace and, and be able to look around and see, oh, all of this is under my control. Oh, what an ego he had. That's why one day Jesus is talking and he goes, actually, if you had faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to here, and it would do it. Because Herod had moved a mountain, but it wasn't quite that easy. He had an ego for sure. 
So all of a sudden, Herod comes in, and there are the wise men, and, and Herod's waiting for all the accolades, and instead he gets the question, where's the child who's to be born king of the Jews? Excuse me? The child. We have seen his star that's rising. Where's the child who has been born the new king of the Jews? And at this point, wow, I mean, Herod is just, I mean, talk about a gut punch. He, he was not ready for that. He was, he was ready for them to be coming and going, Herod, you're awesome. And, and what he learns is, is, is we're not here to see some puppet king over Israel. We want to see the king of kings because God has revealed he's doing something amazing. I mean, where's the real king? And then his insecurity sets in, and we're told that Herod became frightened. And when Herod became frightened, all of Jerusalem became frightened. I mean, Herod's insecurities, was he was ruthless when he was nervous. He had three of his own sons executed because he thought that they might be attempting to overthrow. And just imagine if he'd do that to his sons, what he would do to you. And then one of his wives, he, he thought that, that she might be involved somehow in helping overthrow. He had his own wife executed as well. And so that's why the scripture says when Herod was frightened, all of Jerusalem was frightened. Because when he's frightened, this is not going to be good for anybody. And they were right. I mean, all you have to do is just, you can scroll on down to verse 16. And see what his insecurities will do. So Herod then calls together all the chief priests and the scribes. And he asked them, these are the religious leaders, and he says to them, so where is this child to be born who's this king of the Jews? And they, they said, well, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that, that he'll be born in Bethlehem in Judea. Bethlehem. Now that sounds like a long way away, but it's only about six miles. It's only five or six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So, so basically what they said is, he's going to be born right over there. In Waxhaw. He's going to be born in Waxhaw. It's not that far away. As a matter of fact, you can be in Jerusalem on the mountainside and look over and see the hillside where Bethlehem is built as well. And somewhere right over there. But he is, this king of the Jews is just right over there. And then we're told that, that Herod secretly called the wise men together and he said, now exactly what time did you see this star? Now, that, that's not Herod just being curious. Herod, what is he trying to do here? How old is this kid at this point? How old is this child? This child who is threatening my throne. This child who is threatening my kingdom. How old is this kid? Exactly what time did you see the star? You don't believe me. Again, just kind of skip on down to verse 16. Because it's down there in verse 16 that, that you're going to see that Herod eventually has every child who's age 2 and under in Bethlehem destroyed. How old is this kid? So then he says to the wise men, I want you to go to Bethlehem. Go, go right over there. Find him. Come back and tell me. So that I can go and worship him too. But he's not going to worship. We know that from verse 16. And so they leave. And they were told that they go and they find Mary and the child Jesus in the house. Now, it's important that we remember this. That 
We, we have our nativity scenes at Christmas and our children's plays and our programs and we bring the shepherds and we bring the wise men in together. But the wise men were not at the stable. Mary and Joseph didn't stay in the stable for two years. At this point, they're now at the house. And it says when they, they, they entered the house, they found Mary and the child Jesus. And what I think is really cool about that is picture this. When they came in and they saw the child... They knelt down and they worshipped him. Now, it is one thing to kneel beside the cradle and go, this child, this is the son of God. But can you imagine kneeling down beside the toddler? I mean, the one who's just learning to walk well, who will soon walk on water. But right now, we're just mastering land. Kneels down in front of the toddler Jesus. And worships and offers gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. You see, an amazing thing is happening. And then God says to them, Herod is seeking to destroy what I'm doing. So I need you to leave a different way. But I mean, truthfully, when we truly encounter the Christ child, shouldn't we all leave differently than the way we came? And so they go a different way. Well, I, I'm actually kind of surprised that Matthew tells the story. I, I would have expected Luke to tell the story. I mean, Luke is the one who, who is concerned about the poor and the outcast and, and those who are marginalized and, and those who are foreigners. Matthew, Matthew is writing about 40 years after Jesus' time. Matthew is writing around 70 AD and, and Jesus ascended around 30. And so it's about 40 years later that, that Matthew is actually retelling the story. And by the time Matthew is retelling the story and writing it, he has a congregation. And the congregation that Matthew typically is preaching to and sharing the gospel with, that they're Jews who had become Christians. Or he's in the midst of a Jewish community that he's offering Christ to. But Matthew spends a lot of time, a lot of time, Matthew spends a lot of time trying to show the Jews and the Jewish Christians that Jesus is the Messiah that the Old Testament pointed to. Matthew will quote the Old Testament more than any other gospel writer. Matthew is constantly saying this happened in order to fulfill what was written and he'll quote the Old Testament again because he's constantly showing this is what God had said, it's what he's doing in Jesus. This is what God said here, it's what he's doing in Jesus. And Matthew is constantly trying to show this is the one who is descended from David. Look at the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's the one that tells us that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David because the Messiah was to be descending from David. And if you look at the genealogy, we go from Joseph to David all the way back to Abraham, the father of the faith. I want you to know it's the connection. God's fulfilling the covenant. Matthew spends a lot of time there. And yet, chapter 2. Matthew also tells us, yes, he is the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham. He is the line of David. But he's not only for this select group of people. God is doing this for the world. The Gentiles are invited as well. These are not Jews that are coming. They're Gentiles. 
Epiphany, God revealing God's self, not only is he the king of the Jews, but he says to the wise men, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. This is a God who so loved the world, and that includes us. You want to hear the good news? You know why Epiphany should be important to us? Because unless you're Jewish, we're the outsiders. We're the ones that God wanted to know by chapter 2. Hey, don't be surprised. This is for you too. This is for you too. The revelation of God is for all of us. All of us. That's why Jesus then says the last words in Matthew. Matthew once again. The last words that Matthew tells us Jesus said is to go make disciples of all nations. It's, it's for everybody. So at the beginning, he has nations coming to him, and at the end says, and now take it to all the nations. Includes us. So what led you here today? I mean, what led you? Something brought you here to worship today. I mean, when I, when I left my house this morning... My car kept debating, is it 9 or 10? 9 or 10 outside. And, and the way I was shivering, I'm going, 9. I, I, think, I think we're closer to 9. I mean, it, it, it was cold outside this morning. And, and yet, you, you came to worship. What brought you here? Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a spouse going, we're going to church. Come on, we're going to church. And maybe it was a parent. Get up. But something brought us here. Maybe, maybe it was a star that led you. But for some reason, God wanted you here today. What is God revealing to you today? Epiphany, it's a manifestation of God. You see, we, we often don't spend much time with, with this concept of epiphany, but in the West, and in America in particular, we, we tend to do things differently than a, than a lot of the rest of the world. I mean, there's a lot of places in the world today, if you, when you get ready for Christmas, like December, December is that time of preparing for Christmas. For many of us, the moment Thanksgiving Day is over, like Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving, it's like bring out the boxes, get out the ornaments, we start decorating our house. You know, come on, let's get, let's get everything up. And so we decorate the house pretty quick, and we light up the house throughout December. December the 25th, we, we celebrate the birth of the Christ child. We trash the house with all this paper and all this stuff all over the place and boxes everywhere. And, and then pretty soon, about the time we get that picked up, it's all right, bring out the boxes. We're putting this stuff up. I can't take this anymore. we got to get back to normal. You know, and, and so the tree's coming down, and the lights are coming down, and everything's got to, we got to put this thing back to normal. In many cultures, it's backwards. It's, it's backwards from us. It's different from us. Maybe we're backwards from the world. Because what happens is, is, is on Christmas Eve, that's when it's now Christmas and we set up and decorate. And then you have the 12 days of Christmas celebrating the gift of the Christ child, celebrating that he's born. And, and you celebrate the 12 days of Christmas ending on Epiphany, January the 6th, yesterday. An epiphany is marked by the visit of the wise men. But epiphany means a manifestation of God, 
a revelation of God that God wants you to experience his son. And God revealed to the foreigners, to the the wise men in the east, this is also for you. And God is revealing to us today, don't forget this, this baby in the manger, this toddler in the house, becomes the Savior on the cross who dies for you and me and rises that we might have life. I mean, Matthew, Matthew really wants us to get who this is. In, in Matthew chapter 1, he says that God said to Joseph, name him Jesus, which means he'll save. Matthew wants you to know today that, that this, this toddler is the Savior of the world. And He'll forgive and save you. That, that no matter what you've done, I mean, we, we, we get here and we start a new year and we start looking at the past and we start looking at how we want to be different. The, the good news is, is that no matter what happened in 2017, 16, 15, however far back, no matter what's happened in your life in the past, this toddler that the wise men worshipped, can save you and forgive you. Call him Jesus. He'll save his people. Matthew said that, that the angel said, call him Emmanuel. Means God is with us. Means that as we begin 2018, we, we don't have a clue what's going to happen in 2018. 2018 may be the best year of our life. Could be the hardest year of our life. We really don't know. We really don't know what's going to happen when we go outside those doors. We don't know what phone call we're going to receive today, tomorrow, or something. It, we may be celebrating, we may be crying. Whatever it is, here's the good news. That toddler is Emmanuel. God with us. And that toddler, the very last thing he said, according to Matthew, is, I'll be with you always. Always. So whatever happens in 2018, hear the good news. You will not have to go through it alone. God will be with you. Mountaintop or valley, God's going to be there. Epiphany, God wants you to get that. He is the Messiah, Matthew says. He is the Christ. This is the anointed one of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Well, when we hear that, what do we do? Well, the wise men, they worshiped. That's why we're here today, is to worship our God. I mean, when we're here, we hear how much God loves us and what God has done in offering his only begotten son. We worship. They bowed down and they worshiped. So we worship. They offer gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, these gifts to God. And, and then they followed God's direction. When God said, now I want to lead you, they, they left the way God led them to go. That's how we respond. How we respond. You know, there's this hymn, it's called In the Bleak Midwinter. And uh, when I first heard the song, I'll, I'll confess to you, I, I really didn't like it. And one of the reasons I didn't is because somebody sang it as a solo and I didn't really like it. And so it took me a while to get to where I liked it. But I like it now. And, and, and the, the last verse in particular, I like because it says, What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yeah, what can I give him? I'll give him my heart. 
see, John Wesley believed that on the first Sunday of the new year, that Christians, the church, should, should pause and, and recommit. We have a tendency to make resolutions in the new year. I mean, it's the new year, what are we going to do? And they were going through some studies again, you know, some results of surveys yet again this year. What are you, you going to do in 2018? Oh, I'm going to get in shape again. I'm going on a diet again. You know, it's going to be different this year. I, I'm going to join a gym, and the gyms are going, come on, because we know only X percent of you will ever really show up. But come on, every one of you can pay. Well, Wesley believed, too, that at the beginning of the new year, we should re-enter the covenant. That we should recommit our lives to Christ, recommit our lives to God and our worship, because God has revealed God's self in this amazing way. And so he created a covenant service. And I want to invite you, if you will, to join me in a time of prayer as we confess who we are to God and recommit to this God who invites by chapter 2. He wants to make sure. Now this, this is for you and for me. Will you pray with me? Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. And there's a confession that I invite you to join. As I lead us in prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. In your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. As we prepare to enter into this covenant, on the one side, God has revealed God's self, and God has said, I will be your God and you'll be my people. And when we were the most broken, Romans 5, 8, God proves his love for us and that Christ died for us. The gift of Christmas, the gift of Epiphany, is God's amazing gift of God's grace to us and to the world. And so I invite us to enter into this covenant, and you'll notice in your bulletin that the covenant is listed as well so that you can take that home with you. This prayer that we will pray is a prayer that we can pray on a regular basis. But hear the words of the covenant. In the old covenant, God chose Israel to be a special people and to obey the law. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by his suffering and death and resurrection, has made a new covenant with all who trust in him. We stand within this covenant and we bear his name. On the one side, God promises in this covenant to give us new life in Christ. On the other side, we are pledged to live not for ourselves, but for God, 
Today, therefore, we meet to renew the covenant which binds us to God. And I invite you to stand if you're able. Friends, let us claim the covenant that God has made with his people and accept the yoke of Christ. To accept the yoke of Christ means that we allow Christ to guide all that we do and are, and that Christ himself is our only reward. Christ has many services to be done. Some are easy. Others are difficult. Some make others applaud us. Others bring only reproach. Some we desire to do because of our own interest. Others seem unnatural. Sometimes we please Christ and meet our own needs. At other times we cannot please Christ unless we deny ourselves. Yet Christ strengthens us and gives us the power to do all things. Therefore, let us make this covenant of God our own. Let us give ourselves completely to God, trusting in his promises and relying on his grace. And I invite you to respond to this amazing gift from God by giving yourself back to God as we pray together. I give myself completely to you, God. Assign me to my place in your creation. Let me suffer for you. Give me the works that you would have me to do. Give me many tasks or have me to step aside while you call others. Put me forward or humble me. Give me riches or let me live in poverty. I freely give all that I am and all that I have to you. And now, Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. May this covenant made on earth continue for all eternity. Amen. You may be seated.